he grew up not far from where the Beatles got their start, between Liverpool and Manchester in the northwest of Great Britain, before making her mark on Indiana's tech scene. I think Indianapolis picked me. I was, um, IT is an amazing career because it's a global career. Audrey Taylor, her amazing journey from growing up 4,000 miles across the pond in England to running one of the most successful woman-owned tech companies in Indiana. She's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Well, if there were a Mount Rushmore for women-owned businesses in Indiana, Audrey Taylor would likely be on it. She's been a pioneer in Hoosier Tech for decades. Audrey grew up more than 4,000 miles away from Indiana in Northwest England. She graduated high school, didn't go to college, came to America, learned how to master IT, and eventually wound up in Indianapolis, where she founded her consulting company, NetLogix, 25 years ago. And I am pleased to be joined this week uh, by Audrey Taylor, the uh, founder and CEO of Indianapolis-based NetLogix, uh, a company that is growing in a big way and uh, also celebrating uh, some real milestones. Uh, Audrey, how are you? I'm great, thank you. It's nice to be with you today, Gary. Yeah, and congratulations are in order on a couple of fronts. Uh, for you, one twenty-five years in business—that is a—that's a big milestone. It is. Um, it's interesting because we now have employees who aren't as old as the company, and that's <laughs> a real telltale sign about how long you've been in business. So that's fascinating, and I'm enjoying the connection I've had. We've obviously celebrated that, and it's been very eye-opening to me. Like, obviously, lots and lots of people congratulating us, but. The dialogue from fellow business owners who realize that it's not all success. 25 years, there's a lot of challenges in that time period. That's been really validating some of the honest conversations I've had with fellow business owners who've been on my journey with me. So I've really enjoyed that reconnection back to the business community about what it's really like to be a self-employed entrepreneur. Yeah. Think back, if you went to 25 years ago. Uh, how things have changed in so many ways, <laughs> uh, certainly here in Indianapolis and in Indiana, as you look at the tech landscape and you're very engaged and involved in that. Can you identify like a, the biggest change or what, what's uh, what's different about doing business today as opposed to 25 years ago here? Um, I think the reality is that, especially in this field of tech and consulting, change is inevitable and you've just got to learn to go with it and live in that uncomfortable, comfortable space of constantly adapting and evolving. You're right. There weren't very many fellow tech business owners or consulting businesses I could talk to who weren't traditional accounting firms when I first started, whereas now there are an awful lot of organizations out there. A lot of my early mentors were just fellow business owners. We weren't in the same fields, but we had similar challenges in terms of business management and learning to do those things. But yeah, I was I was laughing. You have to have a strategic plan. You have to have a business plan. I don't think any one of our plans, we've come out the other end of it looking quite like we intended. Uh-huh. But I think it's critical we had the plan. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have come out the other end at all. We'd have just gone by the wayside and we wouldn't have been here 25 years later to be continuing to learn and grow and add people to the team. 
Give us the thumbnail description description of NetLogix. Again, uh, been in business now for 25 uh, years here, business consulting firm. You do a lot of different things. Talk talk about uh, the business and what it's all about. Yeah. So first and foremost to us, we're a nationally certified woman-owned business. We take great pride in that and we recognize what diversity does for our clients, what it does for our country. Um, but what we actually do is we work with our clients to help them solve complex business challenges. We all face change and it's how you navigate that and how you make that work for you that's inevitable. So we help both public and private sector organizations, and that's important to us. Um, and we help them in six strategic management areas, information management, security management, process management, project and program management, organizational change management, and then performance management. We're simply trying to help you survive and thrive in this ever-changing world and make sure that when you initiate change or when change is foisted on you, you come out better for the experience of applying the change and working with us to see that through to success. Yeah. Uh, based here in Indianapolis and a uh, great footprint here in the state of Indiana, but you're, you've grown outside, uh, certainly. Talk about that, uh, that growth and uh, what you're seeing out in the marketplace. So 25 years, we see a lot of change in the marketplace. We saw um, we public and private sector really helps us as a small organization manage opportunity, manage risk, manage cash flow, because there are times when the public sector is growing and the times when the private sector is growing. The recent pandemic, we definitely saw our private sector clients kind of hunker down and save their cash. But obviously, the pandemic then generated some opportunities in the public sector side that we were able to benefit and grow from. We've really grown. We do a lot of our consulting in the health and human services arena. So healthcare organizations. So we've supported hospitals across the country. We've supported, you know, six, seven, eight, nine states now in various state agencies working on that area. So we really are able to leverage what works in one area and take it to another area and see that succeed and grow and take our teams with us. I mentioned at the top, congratulations on two fronts, one, the 25 years, the other, NetLogic's just awarded number one ranking, the best places to work awards competition by the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. That's quite that's quite a feat. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, I'd love to tell you 25 years ago, we knew that was the plan and it was all time <laughs> to achieve this. Um, it was interesting because, to be honest, it was after the fact when I read the materials that it said it was a night um, for magic. And I really, truly feel like that's what happened on that evening. So best places to work is a truly important part of our organization and how we operate. We have won it. We've participated now 10 times, won it nine times. Um, and we're very grateful for that. And like I said, you learn from your failures. We understood the process itself is interesting. We apply in January and we know the percentage of our team who respond impacts the results. But that's also important to us because the more people respond, the more feedback we get. And that's what we use it for is feedback. We have learned as an organization, people in our company could work in many, many places. And truthfully, now in the virtual world, they can probably work anywhere. So there has to be a reason and power for them to come and work at NetLogic. So the best places to work is part of how we make sure that we stay an attractive place to work and that people want to work with us. So we've learned that wellness programs really matter to our team. So we've added additional wellness features. Volunteering mattered. We've emphasized that we're part of a community, but as, and especially as we've grown outside of Indianapolis, people being able to participate in their community 
using volunteer hours has made a big difference to us. So it really informs who we are. And then we get those extra metrics about how we compare to other organizations that are similar to us. And if you're not looking to learn, then you're probably starting to look to fail. So we really do passionately care. So sitting at that table, watching the numbers click down, we were hoping and fingers (laughs) crossed for a top 10 because we'd made the top 10 before. No idea we were going to be number one and just absolutely thrilled that day, the next day till this day still. Yeah, it's just been an amazing experience. Yeah. And and you mentioned the impact on talent attraction and for that matter, retention as as well. How how are you... um, viewing the whole talent situation. So many companies inside and outside technology, I mean, it, it affects all all industries uh, here in the state, uh, are really uh, struggling to find talent. What, what are you seeing out there? So we have, um, we've experienced that we, when the pandemic started and we all went virtual, we really doubled down on making sure that people felt engaged and part of the organization. We'd lost some of that dynamic we naturally had. And our staff didn't work in a NetLogic's often, very, uh, NetLogic's office very often. They were tended to be at client sites, so we've always been a distributed workforce. So technology-wise, going virtual wasn't difficult for us, but making sure that people still had a community and an engagement, the HR team really stepped up. We started with weekly team meetings and various things, and then we have thinned those out now. But personally, we've also found we've been able to attract staff from further afield, places that we wouldn't necessarily have been able to if they had to then commute to a client site. If you can work virtually, we've been able to expand where people can be based. We've even been able to see some of our existing Indianapolis team be able to travel. We've had some people be able to move out of state and move back in state, depending on where they were in their life cycle. So we've tried to make the variations that are now available to us work for us and help us to attract staff. And then we're honest. We know that a small business isn't the right place for everybody forever. So we we have a boomerang club. We've now got eight people who've left and come back. Ah. Sometimes after several years, sometimes after not very long, because the grass is always greener, but sometimes it's not quite the right shade of green when you get there. So we're really proud of that, that people make decisions not because they're mad at you that you're not a good fit. It's just not fit. For their life at this time. So we like to give people the opportunity to work where they're best suited, but then remember us fondly and either call us yeah. back to be a client or come back. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you like to see? You know, there's so many efforts underway now around this whole talent issue. A lot of, uh, you know, investment of qu- in quality of place, you know, qu- quality of life yeah. type uh, projects and those types of things. Are, are there things you would like to see Indianapolis or the state of Indiana or other universities do to help uh, the, the whole talent equation? So I think it's interesting what we where we consider to go for our resources. So we're a women-owned business, and I hold myself accountable that I can get lots of pats on the back about how diverse we are. We have a really female-heavy leadership team, but they do quite often look a lot like me. So we're not as diverse as we could be. So we've been intentional in where we source our staff from and trying to open ourselves up. So there are great organizations here in town who have more diverse talent available to us. So we've got a longstanding relationship with the Latino Institute. We've got a longstanding relationship for interns from Ivy Tech. We've recently added, there's an amazing program 
that I'm now blanking on the name of, I will share with you so people can put it on the site, but um, where they work with people with disabilities and help them move into opportunities. So we've got our first intern that's coming through that program this summer starting. And if we're always going to look for people who look like ourselves, we're never going to expand the talent pool that's out there. And personally speaking, I like to be transparent. So I took a gap year. I didn't go to college, so I don't have a four-year degree. So it's really hypocritical of me to say everybody that works at NetLogix needs a four-year degree because you don't. There are lots and lots of things you can do with life experience and the school of you know life that makes it opportunity. So what are you writing on your job applications? What are you writing on your resumes? And don't get me wrong. I want my doctor to have gone to college. Yeah, right. Does everybody need to have gone to college yeah. for every position you're hiring for? And I know we're seeing that needle move. I've talked about that for several years, but I know we're now seeing that needle move. Yeah, and, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you think you're beginning to see that that cultural shift here in Indiana, you know, around that that whole concept that, you know, four-year institutions are great, but they're not the end-all be-all? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I mean, so it's funny because the boot camp style is how I learned to be a coder back in the day. I mean, we were called programmers, but that's how I learned. I was put in a six week boot camp by the company who hired me because, again, there was a shortage of tech talent. There's always shortages of tech talent. So what do you do to be more creative to bring them in? And where do you look for them? So I think that to me is something that I am seeing Indianapolis embrace and be more positive about. And I'm so proud of the governor bringing the lastmile.org organization to town. I mean, I just think that's a huge transformational for the people in the program, but then their whole communities and families that get to expand on that. I mean, there's just some really cool programs out there that create talent that we can all leverage. Yeah. Your accent is not a Hoosier accent. <laughs> oh, I know. Up- I <laughs> you grew up in the United Kingdom. How did you get to Indianapolis? It's an interesting story, I know. Okay. So um, I was in IT. I was hired by a very large, well-known insurance company, and they did those boot camps, and they taught me to be a programmer, and then an analyst, and then a project manager. So I did all of those classes and courses, and then the grass looked greener somewhere else. So I took another opportunity I arrived just as the CIO decided to quit. So then they were going to go in a different direction. And instead of shiny new technologies, we were going to be limping along. So I decided that experiences were what I wanted. So I formed a business in the UK. Did that for several years. My last consulting gig in the UK, I worked with somebody who'd lived everywhere in the world. He'd been a very traveled IT consultant. And I was like, I'm going to do that. So it's a long time ago. So in 1991, I got the newspaper because that's how you got jobs back in those days and looked in the tech pages and found the advert with flags around it and suggested to the company that given I have no gift for languages, I've lived here for 30 odd years and I still don't sound like a Hoosier, um, that maybe I should go where they spoke English. So I did that. Um, and I was offered a job in Houston, which would be too hot, New York City, and I had family, and I did know how big New York was. I had been, but if I had family, I'd probably be expected to be very carefully managed by my aunt because she'd be worried about her little English niece in the dangerous Americas. So the next one was Indianapolis. Knew nothing. 
And yeah. I know it's a terrible thing to say in May, but I didn't even know about the 500. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I just wasn't a race car girl in those days. I've since transformed magically. But yes, um, so I knew it was near Chicago and that was it. I'd read enough books and seen enough movies that it seemed like a great adventure. And I think anybody who spends time in Indianapolis and Indiana itself, it's a great place to live. Yeah. You don't necessarily have all the great tourist features that, you know, your friends from England might want to come and visit, but once they get here, they're like, wow, you have a really nice life. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Our cost it, of it, living, our travel. Yeah. Yeah. And I read, uh, I read somewhere that you came over with $500 and one credit card in your pocket. Is that correct? Yeah. So the consulting firm that were hiring me, because obviously I needed to go through the visa process and all of that, their best piece of advice was, apply for an English American Express, which I did. And then after a period of, I think it was four months, phone American Express and say, would they transfer it to an American one? Because I arrived with the credit history of a 16-year-old. Car shopping was hysterical. The car I wanted and then the car I could afford to insure were two very different vehicles <laughs> in 1991. Right, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was a real learning curve. Yeah, so... Everything we've built from that day to this came from that original $500 in the American Express card. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. As you look at uh, those early days in arriving in Indianapolis, what, what did you think of? Because Indianapolis, a very different place back then, obviously, obviously, too. What were your initial thoughts of Indianapolis and Indiana? So... First of all, American sounded far more American when that was all you heard every single day. And you said things that people actually said, I'm going through a divorce. And I thought people only really say that on Oprah. Real people don't say that, but they did say that. That was one of my early impressions. Um, food. I couldn't believe how many choices, like even a basic meal, it would still be what kind of salad, what kind of salad dressing, what kind of potato and all those. Like, and then I couldn't do the money. All the money's the same color, used to be the same color. So I used to have my money segregated so I could work out. Because when they'd say some, how much something cost, and I was paying for a lot of things in cash, I'd yeah. have to listen really carefully. And sometimes I'd just put a 20 down because it was easier than trying to ask what they'd said two or three times. So I was just like, so I always had loads and loads of change because I couldn't hear what everything cost. So yeah, but the city itself, I um, arrived to work on a project with a lot of other people who were moving here. Um, some people were coming back home. Some people were moving here for different opportunities. Some people had just graduated. So we made a great group to go exploring the city. And I did actually live downtown. So I was living in wow. amongst the first apartment blocks downtown. So to watch the city grow. And it was interesting because I, I used to be able to cycle up and down New York Street in the middle of the street at the weekends. There was nobody here. And there were like four or five bars and restaurants in the whole city right. that we could go to. Um, and then that was quite funny because they could never believe we were walking because they didn't know like, everybody in America drives. Well, we're like, no, we can have another drink. We're walking. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's changed a lot. And now when you go down, I'm like, what are all these people doing in the city? Yeah. Mm -hmm. been um, yeah. It has changed so, so dramatically over the uh over the years, to be sure. And so, too, as the tech community uh, mm -hmm. that you're very much a part of with the company. But I want to ask you first, though, okay, you got to Indy. What made you take the leap to to start a company? Because that is a, you know, that's a that's a big deal and a, a scary deal many times. What, yeah. what made you make that move? So I moved 
myself and my husband here. It was me that wanted to travel. So I moved us here. Fast forward, we are, we've had our first child and he's offered an amazing opportunity to go to Germany. So we did actually leave and we spent, well, I spent some time in Germany. My husband spent longer in Germany um, and it really wasn't panning out, but I was back. We'd sold our house in Broad Ripple and we were moving. And then for various personal reasons for our life, he decided to, but he would leave. So now we're both unemployed because I hadn't gone back to work after having my son because we're moving to Germany. So now we're unemployed, homeless, <laughs> and we've got a small child. Um, and we had a, another friend who was going to set up a business with us. There were going to be three of us in the arrangement. It would have been a very different business. And you have to get your ducks in a row. You have to get your financing. You have to get your life ready. And unfortunately, in that process, he was killed by a drunk driver in Chicago. Oh. So my husband applied for a job and got a job. That was the end of our business experience. And I was like, but we were going to work for ourselves. We were going to have this adventure. So I pursued forward. And for those first few years, it was a very different business. It was really me primarily being self-employed in a few 1099s that I subcontracted to. But I also had a second child. So the three kids of my oldest, NetLogics, and the younger one, we all went on the family adventure together. And we traveled. We've lived in several other places, but I've kept NetLogics going, obviously, through that period. And then my husband was in a plane on 9-11, on his way to San Francisco and life could have been a very, very different conversation. Right. So that's when we had the really hard conversation about, can you put all your eggs in one basket? Can we be in a family entrepreneurial business versus just an extra business? And it's hard. You have to figure out how you're going to do health insurance, how you're going to pay and have a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. So we just decided we would do it to the very best of our abilities and be open to advice. There is an awful lot we don't know. So there are people who do know, and you just have to trust them and be vulnerable to get the best advice you can. Much more ahead with uh, Audrey Taylor, uh, starting that company, uh, a woman-owned company, and the challenges and opportunities that that brings. Uh, That and much more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us. PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank, see how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Audrey Taylor, founder and the CEO of NetLogics, an Indianapolis-based business consulting firm, celebrating 25 years uh, in business. And Audrey, as you think back uh, as a woman-owned business, challenges and opportunities that that present themselves or that confront women uh, who start their own businesses. What Talk about the experience. Um, even the certification experience is challenging obviously 
the business I've mentioned, my husband's part of the business. But for six years, he was a support to me and a great resource. But he had a full-time job. Every revenue stream was coming from me. So to fast forward to 2002 and trying to get certified, some of the questions, there's just, there was, there was then in 2002, just an inherent belief that I obviously was just a wife who was pretending to run the business. And that's disappointing to experience so far into the journey of trying to get to equality for women. So my approach in life is you can't just whine about things. You have to do something different about it. So I took a hard look at what I'd contributed to being a woman-owned business. What was I actually doing to walk the walk? So I recognized there was more I could do. I got very involved with the National Association of Women Business Owners, the NARBO chapter here in town. I served on the board of that for several years. And then I also participated in the women in high tech community and actually went on to be president of that organization to encourage women to try new things, to pursue themselves, to engage in pursuing their dreams and not allowing themselves to be moved into softer areas of even their business practice areas that they're familiar with. And then as an organization, we take diversity seriously. We take it seriously for our employees, but we take it seriously in who we partner with. Which organizations do we call on to do our marketing? Which organizations do we call on to do our finance or planning? You know, there are lots and lots of discretionary spend, even in a small business, that you can direct to organizations that you're passionate with. And then... We've been very fortunate when we're a prime at the state of Indiana, we have the opportunity to bring other Meebies and Weebies and VBs along with us. And we do. And we have a strong network of those companies that we work with and we go back to and then who also then work with us and take us to new opportunities. So I really think in hindsight, you know, what are you contributing back to the organizations that you're trying to make diverse? And I think we can all do more in that area. The quote on your LinkedIn page that I saw, a woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong it is until it's in hot water. That from Eleanor Roosevelt. I thought that was a great, a great quote. As a woman-owned business, think back uh, to lessons learned, things that you have faced and confronted uh, during your career. So the one I always talk about is, so we're self-funded. We started with 500 and a credit card, and then I yeah. wanted to start a business. And I wasn't going to earn a salary, but I was going to make the business pay eventually. And that's a great blessing and a great hindrance. And I know it's exactly the same if you get outside investors. It's a blessing and a curse too. What it means is we were in charge of the financing. And for too long, I relied on the bank of our family and not outside capital to support our growth. So there are definitely a couple of occasions where we missed opportunities because I literally knew we wouldn't be able to manage the cash flow and the line of credit. And when I finally realized I needed that line of credit, I went to the bank. We'd been with that bank five, six, seven years by this point. Real money flew. We grew reasonably well for those first few years to a sizable number especially compared when I know what the average small business income is, we were growing. And I went to the bank and applied for my line of credit and they gave me less than one of my credit cards. Ah. And it's not the bank's fault. So we can talk about, you know, women are discriminated against. And there is some of that. I don't wish to be, you know, naive. But I also didn't articulate for myself. I wasn't prepared. I didn't approach that like a serious business venture. So 
we move on a little bit two years later and a different bank, very different level of preparedness, what my expectations were and how I was going to make sure they got there. And I have shared that and prepped women to go and ask the bank for growth opportunities multiple times since then. And it's an ongoing dialogue with your bank. If you're not in touch with them, they won't be able to respond when you get a big opportunity. So it's your job to advocate for yourself. And I didn't do that the first time. So that was one of my big lessons learned. Yeah. As you look at growing your business and you've grown it over 25 years and uh, on into the future, talk about growing a business, especially a technology focused business in Indiana. Is the landscape different now better now yeah. well what would yeah. you, what would be your take it's better now it's definitely better there's um there's more of a dialogue about that we have a tech industry and we don't need to go to one of the big companies that you've heard of all over the world to get advice and get guidance and get structure and there are an awful lot more organizations who recognize that working with smaller boutique organizations like we are you get same team. The team we pitch is the team you'll get. We're not going to send in the summer interns and things like that. So I think there's a recognition that we have homegrown talent and that we can solve big problems from here in the heartland. We don't have to go to the coast to get the advice and guidance. And I think that's made a big difference in the confidence level of the staff we hire and why they come to join us. The questions people asked when you were joining a company of six are very different than when you're joining a company that's been in business for 25 yeah. years and has got multiple people you can talk to. It's the risk factor, even for people joining you, changes as well. So I think we get the benefit of both the societal changes and then also the business changes. Do, do, do you think Indiana and uh, the Midwest more generally stand to benefit uh, from a, a real that realization of what you talk about there that, you know, there's some pretty innovative companies and ideas and things here in the Midwest, other parts of the country, maybe California, some other places where it's more difficult to do business. And folks are beginning to look at yeah. the Midwest and say, hey, maybe we should be there. Yeah, sometimes I've got a mixed feeling when I see one of these big companies moving to town. I'm like, mm, I wonder what that's going to do for right. salaries and rate increases. Right. But the reality is a better market creates more talent and gives us all an opportunity to rise and grow. And we can work for those big companies, too. So it really is. It does help everybody as we bring more emphasis on what we do. And that's why I'm part of the Indiana Indianapolis Chamber I think you need to contribute to your communities. We need to be part of the landscape. You can't just sit in your business saying they're not doing enough for me. Well, what are you advocating to see changed? I often participate in the discussions that um, the state agencies that manage the diversity programs, we really believe in encouraging them to push organizations to understand the value of using diverse businesses and what that brings to the table. Yeah. Um, final question. What's next? What, uh, as you look at the next five to 10 years, any, any big goals, things you want to accomplish uh, for the, the company or yourself personally? So for the company, yes, we've got some direct goals. We, like I said, we do public and private sector. The one sector we've never really worked in is the federal space. So if anybody's listening and would like to partner with a very small women-owned small business in the federal space, we'd be very happy to talk to you. We really want to see that as another opportunity to help add to our strengths. There's several really large organizations here in Indianapolis that are federally based. So we really want to pursue that. And then on a personal level, continue to see my leadership team continue to grow and take over more and more of the responsibilities of the business. There's a reason it's not called after me. 
the business is far more than me and far more than what I can contribute. And there are many days now where I'm not even sure I'd get a job at the company anymore. There's so many talented people here. So I really want to see them succeed and the company be what they want it to be for the future of all those people who work for us. Audrey Taylor is the founder and CEO of NetLogics. Uh, Audrey, really been great to catch up with you uh, here on the podcast. Congratulations on 25 years. Also, thanks for your leadership in the community because you've been a real advocate for uh, not only women, but tech tech in general and, and uh, have helped to accomplish some great things. So thanks for that as well. Thank you. And that's why I like talking to you, Gary, because I think you provide the positivity that we all need. If, if you're just going to listen to the news, we're never going to move forward. So we have to make positive news because there are great people every day doing great things and we need to celebrate those and not some of the people who just draw negative attention. So I appreciate your positive emails, your positive updates and your positive business lens. Oh, thanks very much, Audrey, and for all you do as well. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. We are a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all episodes of the Business and Beyond podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.